Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with stocks looking to end the week on a high note, with the Dow doing something for the first time since 2017. Futures are higher in the pre-market. And is the rally at risk? Why stocks could be starting a major inflection point that could derail what's been a big tech-driven run-up. And then in Washington, reports President Biden is readying a landmark push around AI safeguards that has some of the biggest players in the space now signing on. Plus, China tries once again to boost its struggling consumer sector. Hear from the former chair of Morgan Stanley Asia coming up. And then later in the show, while billionaire investor Steve Cohen, he may be shifting his attention away from his struggling Major League, Major League Baseball team to pet food. It is Friday, July the 21st, 2023, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Thank you for starting your day with us. Let's kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. Taking a look at the pre-market right now, as we mentioned, stock futures are in the green across the board. The Nasdaq doing the best so far now in the pre-market. Stocks are coming off a bit of a mixed session. That's saw the Nasdaq post its biggest one-day drop in four months on the back of weak results from Tesla and from Netflix. The former shaving more than 60 points off the index by the close with its biggest one-day drop since January. As you can see, a reversal now in the pre-market. Tesla shares up more than 1.5% right now. A very different story for the Dow, insulated by big tech gyrations, coming off a nearly half a percent gain for its ninth straight positive session in a row and its longest such win streak since 2017. All right, turning our attention now to Washington. We have some breaking news from the White House and its efforts to safeguard artificial intelligence. Our Eamon Javers joins us now with more on this story. Eamon, good morning. Good morning to you, Frank. The White House says President Biden will be convening seven AI companies at the White House today. Uh, those include big names like Amazon, Google, Meta, Microsoft and OpenAI to announce that the administration has secured voluntary commitments from these companies to help move toward what they're calling safe, secure and transparent development of AI technology. Now, the White House says those commitments from the companies include internal and external security testing of AI systems before release, sharing information across industry and with governments, civil society and academia, investing in safeguards to protect proprietary and unreleased model weights, facilitating third-party discovery of reporting of vulnerabilities in their AI systems, and developing robust technical me mechanisms to ensure that users know when content is AI-generated, such as a watermarking system, so people could tell that the image 
comes from AI. Now, the tension here is that the White House wants to ensure the safety of all of this AI technology, but they also want to make sure that all such innovations are made here inside the United States. So that's going to require uh, some delicate balancing of priorities as they move forward. Among the executives expected at the meeting at the White House today are Brad Smith, the president of Microsoft, Kent Walker, <clears throat> president of Google, Nick Clegg, president of Meta, Greg Brockman, president of OpenAI, Adam Salipsky, CEO of Amazon Web Services, and a a couple of others will be there as well. We also expect to see President Biden making remarks on AI to outline this agreement. That's expected to take place in the Roosevelt Room uh, at the White House at 1.30 p.m. today. Back over to you, Frank. So, Heyman, great reporting on this. Obviously, a lot of heavy hitters uh, signing on to this agreement. Are there any voluntary guidelines that these different companies have agreed to? Yeah, that's the key here. All of these are voluntary, right? So uh, what you're looking at is a deal, basically, between the AI companies and the administration. Clearly, a lot of work has gone into this behind the scenes to come up with sort of a regulatory framework that's not really a regulatory framework in the sense that the companies have just agreed to, to do this. So I think you can look at this as sort of a first step in terms of the government and the companies kind of doing this delicate dance of, okay, how are we going to regulate this incredibly powerful new technology? I mean, the, you know, the apocalyptic predictions of what could go wrong if AI gets out of control. Uh, we've all heard the Terminator scenario, uh, but there are all sorts of implications, as the White House was laying out uh, yesterday on a conference call for reporters, for civil society, for our politics, for our business, the presence of uh, fraud and disinformation in our marketplaces and in our politics. All of that is the stuff uh, that the folks at the White House are thinking about. And of course, the folks at the companies are thinking about that too, Frank. All right. A lot of developments here. I think a lot of people will be anxiously waiting for that announcement from President Biden at 1.30 today. Eamon Javers, thank you again. And we're going to talk much more about this in detail coming up this hour with the CEO of Zebra Technologies, another company using AI in its operations. All right. Turning back our, our turning our attention back to tech now. The Nasdaq and the Nasdaq 100 are both underperforming this week after rising 41 percent year to date. You see the underperformance right here. And we're approaching what could be a major inflection point for the markets and that year to date rally. That's the Nasdaq 100 special rebalance that's going to take place before the opening bell on Monday. So the last time this occurred was back in 2011. This rebalance is designed to address the overconcentration of the so-called magnificent seven stocks. Those are AI focused stocks like NVIDIA and Microsoft that help power the first half rally. They now make up more than 55 percent weighting on the Nasdaq 100. After this rebalance, it's going to be under 44 percent for the index. And another shift, Apple will become the most heavily weighted stock in the Nasdaq 100, moving Microsoft back to second place and Microsoft and NVIDIA. They're going to see their weightings fall by 3 percent, while, as you can see, Google drops by 2 percent. And according to NASDAQ, here are some notable names that could see their weightings actually increase. We're talking Starbucks, Mondelez, Booking Holdings, Gilead Sciences, and ADP. Automatic data listed right here, the payroll company. Something we'll continue to watch throughout today and its impact on the markets. All right, let's talk more about the impending shuffling of the NASDAQ 100, as well as the broader markets. Ben Emmons, principal and senior portfolio manager at New Edge Wealth. He joins me now. Ben, good morning. Good morning, Frank. So give us a sense. How do you see this NASDAQ rebalance? Do you see this possibly having an impact on the year-to-date rally in the tech sector overall? It would not be, per se, but I do think that if you once you have rebalanced that the flows that come into passive index funds that must buy those stack stocks, that will probably impact the, uh, the performance of these stocks, at least for the interim. 
obviously, if there's any earnings coming out, uh, it will affect those stocks. So I think that's a big focus next week. But I think if you think about the rebalance, it is a very technical feature. You know, I think the index funds, that's where you see most of the impact, impact coming through. All right. So a lot of people were talking about the broadening of the market. Um, we mentioned some of the stocks there we listed last, uh, Mondelez, Starbucks, Booking Holdings. They're going to see a bigger concentration, a bigger weighting in the NASDAQ 100. Does this move? Is this pro-widening of the market? Do you think investors will continue to put their money in an index fund like the NASDAQ 100, the triple Qs, with less of a focus on AI? It probably will, because ultimately it's about the bigger trends. You know, if, if, as much as these stocks get a re-rating, um, it is still a big rating, though. So I think that that's just an ongoing theme. But if you think about the broadening of the market, we're thinking more about other factors are playing a role right now. If you can see it in energy and commodities, as one example, I think it's more their fundamentals driving broadening of, okay. of market action. You're also looking at the moves in the dollar. Dollar actually down about 2% month to date. How does that kind of instruct your investing philosophy right now? So dollar weakness is interesting against the backdrop of a strong U.S. economy. It's really driven by emerging market currencies and, and the euro and sterling that are all stronger because of monetary policy. But a weaker dollar environment is good for commodities, good for risk assets. So it does very support it. And I think that's what we've seen in the last two weeks. All right. Earnings season. Got to ask you about financials. Big week for bank earnings, both big banks and regional banks. You're actually looking at the technicals more than you are the actual reports. So the KRE is trading above its 50-day moving average, but below its 200-day. What does that tell you? Yeah, it's finding some support of that 50-day moving average. It's sort of broken out, and the earnings showed some reasonable results for a lot of these regionals. And they're recovering their deposits quite quickly again. So that whole scare, that, that crisis we had in March, you know, the KRE is actually on track to maybe recover some of that. And that's that 200-day moving average. Probably be the resistance, but that's some uh, distance away from it. Like about 15% from where we are currently. So when you're talking to clients, are you a buyer of financials right now, at least until they hit that 200-day average? Yeah, we, we are involved in financials. We stayed more on the, on the big financials. But you could think about these regionals, you know, at least the ones that have reported some pretty solid earnings. If we're in that momentum, that's an opportunity. All right, Ben Emmons, always great to see you. Thanks for coming here in the studio. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right, time now for a check on this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau is here with those. Silvana, good morning. Hey, Frank, good Friday morning to you. Well, in looking to play catch up to Microsoft's chat GPT, Google co-founder Sergey Brin is getting back to work. According to the Wall Street Journal, Brin has been visiting Alphabet's HQ with increasing frequency in recent months, up to four times per week. And to, this is to work with researchers as they push to develop the company's upcoming AI offering. According to the report, Brin is also convening weekly discussions on AI with employees and has taken a lead role in new hires for the project. Meanwhile, bankrupt cryptocurrency exchange FTX is suing its founder, Sam Bankman-Fried, and three other former executives, including former Alameda research head Caroline Ellison. The move is in an effort to claw back more than $1 billion FTX claims SBF and others misappropriated in the months leading up to the firm's collapse last year. The lawsuit filed under the direction of restructuring expert John Ray takes aim at a string of share awards, real estate purchases, cash transfers, and other transactions that the company says should be reversed under bankruptcy law. 
And New York Mets owner and billionaire investor Stephen Cohen is looking to extend his influence past Flushing Meadows. In a regulatory filing yesterday, Cohen's 0.72 asset management says it has taken a 5.8% stake in pet supply retailer Chewy. This coming after the company posted a surprise profit last quarter and forecast full-year sales of between $11.15 billion and $11.35 billion, Frank. Very interesting uh, story there, Silvana. Chewy shares up a third of a percent in the pre-market. Silvana, thank you very much. We're going to see you later in the show. So a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors just have to know today. But first, a Worldwide Exchange exclusive with the CEO of Zebra Technologies, his reaction to the White House creating a new AI safety alliance. Plus, while some are calling it a lost decade for investors in China, we speak with former Morgan Stanley Asia head Stephen Roach. And then later on in the show, Microsoft's antitrust troubles are far from over in Europe. The latest complaint against the tech giant, we have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Brought to you by Eden Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Eden Vance High Yield ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find smart bond selection from a specialized team with deep fixed income expertise. Get to know what's inside EVHY, the symbol of high yield done right, at EdenVance.com slash CNBC. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment's objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at EdenVance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Wall Street trying to finish the week in the green with futures right now up in the pre-market. Let's see if Europe is doing the same. Our Jamana Brissetti is in our London newsroom with the early trade. Jamana, good morning. Hi, Frank. Well, we are actually leaning a little bit more green after a soggy start to this session today. But for the most part, all of these indices are trading in the positive. The FTSE 100, a lot of focus on the UK index this week, up about five basis points. We had stronger than expected retail sales come in for the month of June. Also keeping a close eye on the political situation, we had some by-elections, regional elections occur overnight, which saw a defeat for two out of three seats for the Conservative Party. So something to watch there. You can see IBEX also in focus, up about five basis points in Spain. General elections coming up on Sunday uh, could see a changeover from the left to the right. So something to watch there. The Keck in France up about three-tenths of a percent. But the only spot of red we have on the board today is in Germany. The DAX is down about three-tenths of a percent, and that is namely on back of one stock, and that is SAP. The software company has pared back its cloud revenue guidance after missing second quarter earnings forecasts. The group also said it will strengthen its push into generative AI after announcing this week that it will invest into three major artificial intelligence companies that 
Despite that, the stock is down 4.2%, one of the worst performing stocks in the DAX, but also in the stock 600 as well, Frank. All right, Jumana, thank you very much. Our Jumana Brissetti live in our London newsroom. Well, it has been the biggest topic in every boardroom, meeting and strategy session, of course, artificial intelligence. A new Gardner survey finding that 79% of corporate strategists see AI and analytics as critical to their success over the next two years, with an increased amount believing that more strategic planning and execution activities could be automated. This is a wave of companies hop on the AI bandwagon, including mega cap tech, education and healthcare companies, as well as my next guest, Bill Burns. CEO of Zebra Technologies, an enterprise asset intelligence company with customers including CVS, Walgreens, and Lowe's. He joins me now. Bill, good morning. Thank you for being here. Hey, Frank. Good morning. All right. So, Bill, as we just mentioned, your company is increasing its use of AI for a broad range of customers in retail, logistics, also healthcare. We just mentioned CVS and Walgreens as two of those customers. How do you view those AI safeguards announced by the Biden administration today? Yeah, I think it's important we continue to safeguard the use of AI. Um, we've been using it Zebra, you know, AI technologies for some time across almost 50 different applications and, you know, leveraging AI and everything from navigation within autonomous mobile robots to, you know, um, production planning uh, for our customers, um, allowing it to be able to use uh, optical character recognition, uh, machine vision, product recognition. So there's been lots of traditional uses of AI that have been used for, for some time now. And we continue to invest in product and solutions to allow our customers to digitize and automate their environments, become more effective and more efficient in businesses every day. And gener- generative AI adds another dimension to that, right, is allowing you to, to be able to create, you know, and look at unstructured data, allow you to look at uh, and generate um, working assistance to those frontline workers. We think about empowering the frontline of businesses, what Zebra does. And generative AI is a way to be able to enable that worker, to be able to assist, okay. to be able to make your most experienced worker and the, the experiences they have and the knowledge they have and give it to a broader um, workforce across your business. So, Bill, you're really focused on the innovation and the opportunity when it comes to AI. But again, the Biden administration really focused on the safeguards. Um, for your business, not so much consumer facing, but still, are, are you worried that there might be some risk when it comes to using AI in your business and your customers' data? Yeah, I think that, you know, individual customers will use the broader models, right, the, the you know, for AI, but then about be able to protect their own data, right? That's really important. So it's important that ultimately our customers are saying, how do I leverage the models of AI and the large language models in generative AI? But how do I do it with my data and how do I continue to protect my data within those models? And I think that's really the use case that our customers are seeing is that um, a broad set of knowledge base that they gain from using the model, but then using it specific to their, you know, um, their workforces to be able to take their information and data and be able to leverage that, leverage the broader model and then be able to create things like sentence structure, look at, you know, imaging and others. Um, and leverage those techniques, but specific to their data and that their data is protected. That's really important to our customers. All right. Let's focus on some of how your customers are going to be able to leverage your AI capabilities. Um, What opportunities do you see when it comes to AI and logistics and retail? Um, Obviously, we have a strike with UPS coming up. I know that doesn't directly impact your business, but it is going to raise the cost of logistics. Are your customers asking you to use AI to reduce costs, to speed up deliveries, to speed up inventory management? What's the number one request for your customers? Yeah, I think overall our customers would say, I want to digitize and automate my environment, right? And, and automation means being able to do things like 
optical character recognition, right? Reading a label and be able to digitize that and give it a digital voice. It means using autonomous mobile robots inside their environments and be able to learn the environment and be able to navigate. It needs to be able to do product inspection quickly um, and be able to look at defects and figure out and learn and train the model quickly. All those are AI techniques. Um, product recognition, being able to okay. recognize a product and be able to do things like self-checkout more easily that I can recognize fruits and vegetables and make a self-checkout inside a retail store more effective and more efficient for customers. So all the okay. simple use cases we think about, you know, generative AI gets a lot of hype today. Um, but Sir, It does you know, get a lot of hype, Bill. It gets a lot right? of hype. Um, right. I know, again, I know you made your, your own AI analysis, but I just want to focus on just more of the analog, analog side of the business right now. We've heard a lot about inventory destocking. You have a lot of unique insight into the inventory situation. Are you seeing your customers building back up their inventory or are they still trying to keep it very lean? Yeah, I think you're seeing, you know, our customers overall lead times of, you know, uh, um, all kinds of goods and services are, are coming down and, and being able to be more, you know, available. And I think that, you know, that, our customers had a lot of inventory, you know, um, on order, and now they're trying to figure out, you know, in the past it was about, you know, could I get the inventory is is the scarcity through COVID. Now it's about making sure they have the right levels of inventory. And I think of things like track and trace, being able to have visibility across the entire supply chain is where Zebra helps them out. So it's not just inside a retail store and what's your inventory okay. there, but what's the inventory in a distribution center? What's the inventory um, being shipped to me and on the way? Has it shipped from the manufacturer and that visibility, that track and trace, then the condition of those goods as they you know, arrive um, okay. within a retail store is really important to our customers. So I think it's finding right. the right inventory level now, Frank. All right. The right inventory level. I think everybody's trying to figure that out. Bill Burns, CEO of Zebra Technologies. Thank you for being here. We appreciate it. Thanks, Frank. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, we're talking demand destruction and price erosion. It's your big money movers and what's turning out to be a very sour week for the shippers. We are back right after this. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers. We start with shares of CSX falling off the track following a mixed second quarter, missing on revenue expectations, but EPS in line. The transport company CEO saying intermodal activity, that's container shipping, that remains challenged, tumbling 10% year over year, though the one CSX team continues to build momentum with the merchandise and coal business demonstrating some significant volume gains. Looking at shares of CSX this morning, down 5%. A better read for Scholastic's quarter beating Wall Street estimates and announcing it would increase its share repurchase amount by $100 million. Scholastic says it expects fiscal 2024 revenue growth between 3 and 5% and is executing a longer-term strategy to drive growth, impact, and shareholder value creation. Looking at shares of Scholastic, up more than 8% in the pre-market. And back to transports. Night Swift shares trucking lower on an earnings miss, underwhelming revenue, and weak forward guidance. The company citing an extremely difficult environment as it saw soft demand 
and intensified pricing pressure in the current volume environment, with miles per tractor down more than 3% year-over-year, Night Swift shares down almost 3%. Let's get a check on more of this morning's headlines outside the world of business. NBC's Francis Rivera in New York with the very latest. Francis, good morning. Happy Friday. Hi, Frank. Good morning to you. A former appointee in Trump's State Department was convicted Thursday of seven felonies. Frederico Klein was found guilty on charges including obstruction of an official proceeding, civil disorder, and assaulting, resisting, or impeding officers. The conviction came from fellow Trump appointee Judge Trevor McFadden. While he did not enter the Capitol on that day, prosecutors argue that Klein was in the tunnel where some of the worst violence against police took place during the riots. Chinese uh, hackers with Chinese connections broke into the emails of the American ambassador to China. That's according to two U.S. officials familiar with the matter. Also hacked the assistant secretary of state for East Asia, who recently traveled to China with Secretary of State Blinken. It's not clear what, if any, sensitive information was stolen. The Chinese embassy in D.C. did not respond to our request for comment. The Dan Schneider era is officially over for the Washington commanders. NFL team owners approved the sale of the team for a record $6 billion. The league also released details from a second outside investigation, which found that Snyder had sexually harassed a former team employee and that the team withheld revenue that it should have shared with other NFL teams. As part of the deal, Snyder agreed to pay a $60 million fine. And the new owners include private equity investor Josh Harris and Magic Johnson. Frank, we send it back to you. Yeah, I think for people in the nation's capital, that's going to be a welcome change. Francis Rivera, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. All right, this weekend marks the debut for two could-be blockbusters set to shake up what's been kind of a weak summer box office season as joint Hollywood strikes threaten to derail the entire industry's product pipeline. Our Julia Borston has much more. Expectations for the debut of Barbie from Mattel and Warner Brothers have continued to rise. The film was projected to bring in as much as $100 million from domestic theaters this weekend. That's more than double the expected debut of Universal's Christopher Nolan film Oppenheimer. Now, Barbie, which is getting positive reviews and 89% critics score from Rotten Tomatoes, is on track to generate returns on its estimated $145 million budget. With the actor's strike underway, Barbie has the advantage of the fact that its big stars promoted the film before the shutdown pulled stars off red carpets. If Barbie lives up to its expectations, it could be the beginning of a wave of films based on Mattel toys. Mattel already has more than a dozen other films in development, including a Hot Wheels movie produced by J.J. Abrams. Morgan Stanley with a positive outlook on the box office saying, quote, we believe that ramping film supply combined with still healthy theatrical demand can drive the box office towards pre-pandemic levels over time. Warner Brothers Discovery should benefit from this film along with Mattel. Mattel reports earnings on Wednesday the 26th. Warner Brothers reports on August 3rd. Frank, over to you. All right. A lot of thanks to our Julia Borston for that. Uh, This could be an exciting weekend for movie lovers. Straight ahead. Shopping hours for the light sensitive, a presidential playlist, and AMC. It backtracks on special seat pricing. We're going to have your top trending stories. That much more after this break. Stay with us. And if you haven't already, follow the podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming up after this break. It is right around 5.30 a.m. here in the New York City area. and There's still a lot ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. Tech trying to play catch up with the Dow set to extend its longest win streak in year. 
year's futures, they are in the green. Beijing tries again to boost its struggling consumer sector, with some already calling it a lost decade. For investors in China, former Morgan Stanley Asia chair Stephen Roach weighs in. And a sigh of relief, sending shares of former President Trump's true social stock soaring. It is Friday, July the 21st. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Thank you for starting your day with us. Let's pick up the half an hour with a check on U.S. stock futures with the Dow set to extend its longest win streak since 2017. As you can see, futures in the green across the board. The Nasdaq uh, doing the best out of the three indices. We're also taking a look at the bond market. As always, we start with the yields on the benchmark 10-year this morning at 3.84, rising almost about 10 basis points from yesterday. We're also seeing some upside moves on the two-year and the five-year. We also want to look at energy, specifically oil. Taking a look right now with WTI trading at about 76.54, up over a percent. Brent crude at 80.50, basically also up over a percent. Muted moves for natural gas, up just a third of a percent. All right, turning our attention now back to tech. The NASDAQ and the NASDAQ 100, they're both underperforming this week after rising more than 40 percent this year. You're taking a look right here uh, at the white line and the orange line, showing the NASDAQ and the NASDAQ 100 falling below the other two indices. And we're approaching what could be a major inflection point for the markets and the year-to-date rally. We're talking about the NASDAQ 100 special rebalance that will take place before the opening bell on Monday. The last time this occurred was back in 2011. It's designed to address the over-concentration of the so-called Magnificent Seven stocks. Those are AI-focused stocks like NVIDIA and Microsoft that helped power the first half rally and now have a more than 55% weighting in the NASDAQ 100. After that rebalance, they will account for just under 44% of the index. And another shift, Apple will become the most heavily weighted stock in the NASDAQ 100, moving Microsoft to second place. Microsoft and NVIDIA will see their weightings fall by 3%. Google drops by 2%. And according to NASDAQ, here are some notable names that could see their weightings increase. We're talking Starbucks, Booking Holdings, uh, Gilead Sciences, and payroll company ADP, all of them, with the exception of Booking Holdings, moving just a bit higher right now in the pre-market. All right, we want to stick with stocks, the material sector. It's a laggard this year. However, it's not all bad news. Our Dom Chu is here taking a look for this month's sectornomics. Dom, good morning. All right, so Frank, it's one of the more inconsequential sectors out there if you want to look at straight-up weightings because... Overall, materials make up just about 2.5% of the S&P 500. That makes them in the same range as utilities and real estate as well. So if you look at those three sectors combined, they only make up less than 10% of the overall index. But materials are getting a lot of attention these days, not just because of the semiconductor business and the high-tech and high-end materials, but also because of what's happening with the Inflation Reduction Act and some of the things that we're seeing with regard to infrastructure investment. Now, if you take a look at some of the best performers on a year-to-date basis, look at names like Martin Marietta and Vulcan Materials, construction aggregates, concrete, gravel, that sort of thing, bridge tunnels and roads. Also, Ecolab and Nucor up about 27 to 30 percent, your best performers on a year-to-date basis. As for some of the worst performers, take a look at some of the names tied to more cyclical parts of the economy around transportation, namely names like Westrock and Amcor, whose business is making packaging materials. Think corrugated cardboard, that sort of thing. Well, those stocks are down about 16 and 14 percent. FMC, IFF, International Flavors and Fragrances, also down about 21 percent. So, Frank, materials overall, it hasn't been a grotesque underperformer. It's a middle-of-the-pack one, but still not keeping pace with the broader market. But there are pockets of outperformance, and they've been around some of those infrastructure-type plays. Frank, I'll send things back over to you. Yeah, Dom, you mentioned, you know, some of the areas. Oh, Dom, thank you very much. 
All right. Time now for a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana now. She's here with those. Silvana. Hey, Frank, good morning to you. Well, less than two months after an 11th hour deal to avoid a U.S. government default, the Biden administration is tasking a new working group to, quote, explore all legal and policy options to avoid future debt limit crisis. Among the members of the debt ceiling working group are National Economic Council Director Lil Brainerd, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen and Attorney General Merrick Garland. No prominent Republican officials were named to the group. U.S. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg says his department is investigating why Delta Airlines allowed passengers to remain on board a plane for four hours in Las Vegas during an extreme heat event Monday. In an interview with Reuters, Buttigieg calling the incident infuriating and shocking. Delta says it is reviewing the event that sent several passengers and a flight attendant to a local hospital. And shares of Digital World Acquisition, the parent company of former President Trump's Truth Social Twitter clone, are surging ahead of the open. The SEC says it has settled fraud charges with the company and is ordering it to pay an $18 million fee. In the event, it executes a final merger to take Trump Media and Tech Group public. The regulator says if the merger is not completed by January 1st, 2025, and the company then returns investors money, the SEC will agree to four go the penalty Frank. a very interesting development a yes, lot of political developments really surrounding yep. the president in dc there's mm-hmm. just another development Silvana, thank you very much yeah, all right coming up here on worldwide exchange former morgan stanley asia chair stephen roach is here on whether or not china is experiencing a lost decade for stocks but first as we had to break some of your top trending stories we begin with walmart getting set to offer what it calls sensory friendly shopping hours starting july 22nd and running through at least the end of august The company says most of its stores will dim lights, turn off radios, and display static images on televisions every Saturday between 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. The hope here is to create a quieter and calmer store environment. And you might have a thing or two in common with former President Barack Obama, at least when it comes to his taste in music. The former commander-in-chief sharing his latest playlist of his current favorite songs for the summer. His latest picks include SZA's Snooze, Janelle Monae's Only Have Eyes For You, and tracks from Bob Dylan, Nicki Minaj, and Aretha Franklin. Pretty diverse playlist. And just in time for Barbenheimer, AMC Entertainment says it is dropping its new tiered pricing system to charge moviegoers more money for premium seats and less for those in the front row. We have more, much more Worldwide Exchange coming up after this break. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet. We begin with Piper Sandler downgrading Carvana to neutral from buy after this week's 20% pop. Piper says a higher valuation for the stock will require changes to its long-term volume outlook, something it does not see shifting, at least not in the medium term. Taking a share, look at shares of Carvana, down more than a half a percent in the pre-market. All right, turning now to Pivotal Research and Evercore downgrading shares of SiriusXM Radio following yesterday's 42% move to the upside on what appeared to be no news or no business update. Evercore says SiriusXM is now by far the most expensive stock in its U.S. cable and telecom coverage universe with secular concerns about long-term growth. Again, pop big yesterday, down big this morning, down almost 9%. And it's time now for your global briefing. We begin with Swiss mining giant and trading house Glencore raising its full-year guidance from its commodity trading division to as much as $4 billion. That's up from $3.2 billion. The company says commodity market imbalances and volatility prevalent during the first few months of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, they have now largely normalized. 
Headline inflation in Japan rising slightly to 3.3% in June, fueling bets on a Bank of Japan policy change as it looks to maintain its ultra-loose monetary policy. This as price pressures in the country start to broaden, with a smaller drag from energy prices helping spur the acceleration. And Chinese authorities announcing measures today intended to help boost the sales of automobiles and electronics, with the goal of shoring up China's slowing economy. All right, sticking with China, the country's recent stretch of weak economic data weighing on confidence in its post-pandemic recovery with signs of deflation, an aging and shrinking worse workforce, and a busted property boom all looming large in investors' minds. Negative sentiment around the country extending to equities as more investors evaluate the risk and the reward of investing in the Chinese stock market. The Wall Street Journal already characterizing the phenomena as a lost decade for investors in China. Joining me now to discuss, Stephen Roach, former Morgan Stanley Asia chairman and currently a senior fellow at Yale Law School. He also has an op-ed in the Financial Times this week. It's titled, The Old Approach to U.S.-China Relations No Longer Works. Stephen, good morning. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Frank. Good to see you. All right, we're going to touch on your op-ed in just a minute. But first, I want to go back to that Wall Street Journal article. Do you believe this could be a lost decade for investors in China on the back of a lot of weak economic data? Well, the the lost decade uh, image that you paint is another way of uh, asking if uh, China is going to be following uh, the the model, the trajectory of Japan, which, of course, lost three decades, not not just one. And there are a lot of characteristics in China that are similar and reminiscent of that which we saw in Japan uh, setting the stage for its lost decades, especially the aging of the population and the productivity problems, uh, the um, support to state-owned enterprises, uh, and uh, most importantly, uh, a big binge of uh, debt-intensive growth. But missing in the um, comparison, in my view, is the, uh, the stage set by a massive Uh, sugar-high equity bubble in Japan in the late uh, 1980s that uh, when it burst, um, it went straight down uh, for several years and languished there. Uh, China has certainly had some frothy periods in equities, but nothing like that uh, of Japan. Yeah, this year we've certainly seen some ups and downs, kind of uh, equities there bouncing off economic data. So back to the economic data, in Q2, we only saw we saw less than one percent growth in GDP compared to Q1 in China. That slowdown obviously on investors' minds. So when you see data like that, um, the co- the country not recovering from COVID as many people expected, how does that make you think just about the investability of these these equities with such a major slowdown? And we mentioned some other issues: uh, shrinking worse workforce and even deflation. Well, uh, again, you know this is this is a. a one quarter disappointment, which is significant and indicative of the growth problems that may be ahead. Uh, And the government is uh, trying to figure out what type of stimulus, if any, is required uh, in response. And I think the jury is out on how much China is going to uh, provide some support uh, to the economy. But uh, the the odds of a large package, uh, I think, are diminishing, and that has investors concerned on a near-term basis, which is typically their focus in any case. 
Okay. In your op-ed, you basically say that we need to rethink the U.S.-China relationship and just create a, a brand new dynamic. You say diplomatic visits by Secretary Yellen and Secretary Blinken were mostly symbolic and not that meaningful. So what would be meaningful? Well, what, what Yellen and Blinken and now John Kerry have accomplished is really uh, setting the stage for just uh, endless rounds of further uh, discussions. And, um, you know, that's really not the framework that, um, uh, that we need to break out of this downward spiral uh, of this uh, conflict. So I propose a new framework, a new architecture of engagement, setting up a permanent organization that I call a U.S.-China Secretariat. It's a, uh, an organization that operates on a full-time basis, located in a neutral jurisdiction, call it Switzerland or Singapore, staffed equally by American and Chinese uh, professionals, call them technocrats if you want, but they have a broad remit to focus on all aspects of the relationship from economics and trade to uh, technology, innovation, uh, human rights, climate change, uh, global health, uh, and um, uh, cyber. And they have a dispute resolution capability. Uh, They propose joint collaborative efforts to develop uh, policies. It beats this uh, uh, tired, endless uh, approach to diplomacy, which, of course, uh, paid an enormous dividends okay. uh, 52 years ago, as Henry Kissinger, who just went to China, uh, has uh, clearly demonstrated. But yeah, we're certainly we seeing a, a shift Kissinger. in some of the dynamics between our two countries, the U.S. and China now. Stephen Roach, thank you so much for your time and for yeah, your insight. Thank you. Appreciate you being here. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, the one word that every investor needs to know today, plus why it may be time for a summer stock correction. Our Bob Pisani has the bear case ahead. Much more Worldwide Exchange after this break. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. We begin with the FTC saying it's withdrawing its case to block Microsoft's $69 billion deal for Activision Blizzard, leaving only the U.K. competition regulator in the way to the finish line. The White House says President Biden will be meeting today with seven leading AI companies, including Amazon, Google, Microsoft and Meta, to announce that it has secured voluntary commitments from these companies to help move toward a safe, secure and transparent development of AI technology. Shares of Intuitive Surgical sinking after posting systems unit revenue that came in lighter than anticipated. Overall, though, the company did beat Wall Street expectations in its second quarter, shares down almost 5 percent in the pre-market. Looking to play catch up to Microsoft's chat GPT, Google co-founder Sergey Brin getting back to work and, according to The Wall Street Journal, has been visiting Alphabet's HQ with increasing frequency in recent months as it pushes ahead for an upcoming AI product offering. Bankrupt cryptocurrency exchange FTX is suing its founder Sam Bankman-Fried and three other former executives, including former Alameda research head Caroline Ellison, for $1 billion dollars. A New York Mets owner and billionaire investor Stephen Cohen's hedge fund 0.72 Asset Management says it's taken a 5.8% stake and pet supply retailer Chewy, taking a look at shares of Chewy this morning, up one-third of a percent. Well, the markets, they put in healthy gains this year, notwithstanding the Nasdaq struggle yesterday following Netflix's and Tesla's results. But history shows stocks could be in for a summer swoon over the next two months. But our Bob Pisani says that's not necessarily a bad thing, at least not in the long run. 
Time for a summer correction. After a string of up days, the old market leadership of technology and consumer discretionary is looking tired. That's probably a good thing. There's two problems, seasonality and valuations. First, it's a tough seasonal period for stocks. The broad market tends to drift lower from mid-July through October. Since 1950, August is the third worst month for the S&P 500. September is the worst month. The other problem is valuations. Market bulls have fretted for weeks that tech stocks have been overbought and are due for a pause. They may be getting their wish. Tech's been mostly for sale the last few days. Alphabet, AMD, Amazon, Salesforce, Meta, they're all down this week. Some of the weakness may be due to the NASDAQ 100 special rebalance. This is going to take place at the close today. Under this rebalance, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, NVIDIA, Meta, Tesla, and Alphabet will see their weighting in the NASDAQ 100 reduced. The biggest argument the bulls have to play against the seasonal weakness and tech overvaluation is to broad the rally out. And there's some good news here. Healthcare, for example, has been very strong recently, led by United Health, Johnson & Johnson, Abbott, for example. And the banks have been rallying. That's especially good news. Back to you, Frank. All right. Thanks, our Bob Pisani. Let's get more perspective on this and bring in Michael Farr, president and CEO of Farr Miller in Washington, chief market strategist at Hightower Advisors and a CNBC contributor. Michael, good morning. Good morning, Frank. How are you? I'm doing great. So what was your take on what uh, Mr. Bob Pisani had to say? He says there's a possibility of a summer correction coming up. Do you see a similar setup? Yeah, well, sure. And, uh, you know, it's a little bit easier this summer than other summers. I mean, we're up 20 percent on the S&P in six and a half months. When you go up that hard and that long, it makes sense that you're going to have some sort of reversion and you'll have some sort of a pullback. We've got Fed. We've got a lot of other things going on right now. And we've got this big Teamster strike in the works. So lots of things could trigger a little bit of uh, bad feelings, I think. All right. So, Michael, with that in mind, what is your Wex word of the day? Ah, my Wex word of the day is wolf and not really the wolf of Wall Street, uh, but the wolf that might be at our door. I think I might agree, agree with our friend, Mr. Pisani. Uh, the boy crying wolf is what I'm getting to, Frank. We've been talking about a recession for a year and a half or two years, and there have been bears out there and nobody predicted a 20 percent rally for the first six months of this year. Just because the wolf hasn't shown up and because we're all sick of hearing about this recession doesn't mean it's still not going to happen and we're not going to have some sort of slowdown. So the word is wolf. You're sick of him, but he could still show up. All right. Speaking of showing up, you're here to give us a play for today. So give us a sense of what you would do today. I know you are looking at transports and that potential Teamster strike. We've seen so far Dow Transport so far this year really rallying, outperforming and right now sitting just pretty close to a 52 week high. Frank, this is something I typically do not do when I'm on television uh, and talk about something that I think I might do here. I might trim my FedEx position. I've owned FedEx for a long time. It's worked out, I think, very, very well. I've had it a long position. I've got capital gains in it. But it's been up 15 percent in the past month. It's really a very, very high. And uh, according to my discipline, when things get overvalued, you trim. Also, according to my discipline, I haven't done it yet. I haven't made a decision to absolutely do it, but that's I'm, I'm looking at it. And I'm thinking about the timing. Do I wait till they announce the strike and wait till it actually goes up a little higher? It's a matter of the discipline and my right. discipline will leave me. But part of that same discipline, Frank, is I'm also looking at Disney. That stock is down. You look at Net Netflix yesterday. Their overall subscriber base is growing. I think okay. Disney may, might, he might have to take a look here. I own it. I might add to it. 
All right, so two looks. FedEx, possibly a sell, or you would advise selling. Disney, a buy. Michael Farr, great to see you. Thank you very much. That's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box, coming up next. Enjoy your weekend. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.